Chapter Seven of Jill's Red Bag by Amy Lefevre. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gabrielle C. Chapter Seven: The Trespasser. A few days afterwards, Miss Faulkner took Jack and Jill out for a ride in a low pony chaise that was their special property. Mona came out on the doorstep to see them start. "I'm so glad you can drive, Miss Faulkner," she said for I shall have no fears about the children with you as driver. The grooms can't be trusted. They give the reins to them, and Jack upset the whole concern just before you came. I used to drive as a tiny child, said Miss Faulkner with heightened color. I have not done so lately, but one never loses the art. Mona looked at her curiously. She began to feel a great interest in this young girl, who had so quietly taken the reins in the schoolroom, and was slowly but surely influencing the young turbulent spirits in it. The children were giving their ponies sugar. Mona looked at them, then she laid her hand gently on Miss Faulkner's arm. "'Some day you will tell me about yourself in your home,' she said. The quick tears sprang to the young governess's eyes. She felt as she stood there that the girl who spoke to her had all that the world could give her. She had as yet been untouched by the storms of life, and on her proud young face there were lines of discontent and restlessness that would never be effaced till she had learned some of life's lessons, and perhaps been through the school of suffering. They were very nearly the same age, were two blocks of stone, ordained for a building above. Yet though one was cut and chiseled already, the other bore no impress of the master's hand. But the sympathetic touch and words struck a chord in Miss Faulkner's heart. She forgot from that time that Mona Barron was her employer. She thought of her only as a girl who might need help. "'Now where shall we go, children?' she asked, as they drove down the sweet-smelling lime avenue into the high road. "'Oh, do drive up to Chilton Common,' cried Jack. "'There are such a lot of rabbits there, and we can see the sea from it.' So to Chilton Common they went. It was about four miles off, and at first sight looked a dreary expanse of wild moorland. As they crossed it, they caught the salt sun of the sea, and soon came to a cluster of poor-looking cottages but beyond them in the distance was the unmistakable blue line of the ocean and the children seemed delighted i wish we lived by the sea said jill i like to be on the very outside edge of the earth why inquired jack jill seldom gave reasons for her likes and dislikes because i do she returned sharply oh look miss faulkner there's our rector miss errington he has a lot of people round him perhaps he's preaching Mr. Errington caught sight of them and smiled at the children, who were great favorites of his. Then he came forward. "'My horse has gone very lame,' he explained. "'I am thinking of leaving him here at the blacksmith's and walking home.' "'Can we give you a lift?' asked Miss Faulkner. "'That will be very good of you. "'I shall be grateful, for my wife will be expecting me and will be anxious.' "'Jill thought you were preaching,' said Jack. "'Wasn't she silly? As if he preached on a weekday!' "'I wish I had been,' said Mr. Errington with a smile. Then he turned to Miss Faulkner. "'These are my parishioners,' he said, "'and not one of them comes to church. "'They're just like heathen. "'It looks like a God-forsaken place, does it not?' "'It seems a strange place to see cottages,' said Miss Faulkner. "'How do they earn their living?' "'By peat cutting and working in a quarry a mile off. "'The blacksmith is unable to walk far, "'or I really think I should see him at church sometime.' The rest are totally indifferent to their soul's welfare. I am longing to build a little mission room and come over and have a service for them, but it would cost money, and I have none to spare at present. It is a pity, said Miss Faulkner gently. 
one wonders sometime if money drifted into the right channels whether this dense ignorance would be overcome at my old home there was a district very like this my father's curate was indefatigable in trying to raise money and he eventually succeeded it was a great success for the people came to the mission church and sent their children to school but he her voice faltered a little overworked himself took cold and died and my father followed him the present rector does not care for the mission room he thinks they ought to come to church and they don't do it mr errington nodded with perfect comprehension of course not it would want a good deal of zeal to walk eight miles after a week's hard work our english laborer will not do it they talked on and much of the conversation was above the children's heads but jill was a sharp child and she was already evolving a plan in her head which had the effect of taking her to the rectory the next day mrs errington was a great invalid when she was told that miss jill barron wanted to see her she said to her husband who was overlooking some accounts with her my dear robert we ought not to be disturbed shall we say we are engaged no said mr errington leaning back in his chair with a laugh i am dazed with figures let us be refreshed by one of the fresh things in the world there is nothing like a child for relieving one of care jill was ushered in flushed and excited she could hardly wait to shake hands jack and bumps are willing and so i've come with it she said as the help to build that church on the common miss faulkner said we might and i bought it in our bag she put a scarlet flannel bag on the table and went on you see we haven't begun very long so there's only a little to start with but we shall always be putting in because we often get presents and i've spoken to mr stone and we've counted that as fifteen cabbages will bring him one shilling and tenpence halfpenny and he says that had better be given to you too it seemed incoherent but mrs errington gently drew the explanation out of the child and though jill did not divulge the spot of their bethel her account interested the rector and his wife greatly it will be money well spent said mr errington for it will be the means of telling those poor folk of the love of the saviour and you will have the honour jill dear of starting the collection said mrs errington it's a pity said jill with knitted brows that you can't get every one to give you their tenth i don't think there are very many people who do give their tenth said the rector miss faulkner gives all hers to the church missionary society jill went on but jack and bumps and me thought we'd like to see where our money went wise little woman mr errington emptied the bag and delighted jill by giving her a formal receipt for it and entering the sum into an account book she ran away quite happy waving her scarlet bag in the air and wishing with all her heart that birthdays and christmas and all such occasions for receiving presents would come every day mona is going to have a party announced jack one day soon after this i went into the drawing-room to give miss webb her pencil that i picked up and she and mona were talking about it it is to be next wednesday the children were just beginning their afternoon lessons and jill was washing her slate preparatory to doing a sum how jolly she cried i hope she'll let us come to it when is it to be is it a dinner party no a garden party it's going to be a very grand one there's a band coming and a tent for fruits and ices and there will be tennis and croquet and bulls and now jack said miss faulkner quietly that is enough lessons now and talk after it was hard to obey but jack put a restraint upon himself and when lessons were over jill determined to get no more news secondhand come on bumps i'm going to ask mona about it the little girls found their sister in her bedroom getting ready for a drive we've come to ask about the party said jill who always went straight to the point we can come to it can't we mona laughed then she sat down in an easy chair and took bumps upon her lap i hardly ever see you now she said miss faulkner keeps you all in such order why bumps you are growing quite heavy yes ascended bumps 
I mashed Polly's head by stepping on it. She's my second Beth wax doll, Mona. You'll let us come to the party? Jill asked persuasively. Yes, if you behave nicely. There may be two other children coming, little Indian nieces of Mrs. Moxon's. Heathens? questioned Jill. Mona laughed merrily. Good gracious, no! What a ridiculous child you are! Jill colored up at once. I like boys better than girls, she said in her stubborn tone. I know I shan't like them. You must be civil and kind to them, or else I shall send you back to the schoolroom. But perhaps that will be no punishment. I think you must have altered your mind about governesses, Jill. Yes, said Jill in a different tone. But Miss Faulkner is not like a governess. She's very fond of us. She says so. Extraordinary! You don't say so. Mona laughed again, then put Bumps off her lap. Now run away, small people, and remember, if you appear in the garden on Wednesday, you must be in the cleanest fox and the sweetest tempers. Otherwise, you must make yourself scarce. Like the children walking to the Golden City, said Bumps, trotting after Jill. Jill looked down at her with troubled eyes. Sometimes I wonder where I am, she said, moved by the impulse of the moment to confide in her little sister. I don't believe I get on very fast. I'm always losing my temper, and that means dirtying my frock. And then you have to wash it, said Bumps cheerfully. Yes, said Jill, with a light in her eyes. I can do that. At least I can ask to have it done, but... And here she relapsed into gloom again. I sometimes wonder if it's ever clean for more than a minute. Wednesday came, and the three children sadly tried Miss Faulkner's patience at lessons. She closed books at last and sent them out into the garden to play before their early dinner. They longed to go into Mona's portion of the grounds, but the head gardener kept them back. Tents were being erected, servants bustled about, and Mona herself, with Miss Webb and one or two gentlemen, seemed to be superintending everything herself. At four o'clock, Jill and Bumps, arrayed in their best white frocks, were down on the front lawn awaiting the arrival of guests. Miss Faulkner, in a pretty gray dress and hat, stood talking to Miss Webb under the trees, and Mona, looking radiant in her youth and loveliness, dressed like her little sisters in pure white, with a spray of delicate pink roses in her breast, was talking and laughing with a few of her house guests. Jack presently came up to his sister. He was dressed in his white sailor suit and looked stiff and uncomfortable. Oh, Jill, I say, do let's get out of this. It's so dull and proper. You and Bumps look like the china figures on the schoolroom mantelpiece. Yes, said Jill, it is very dull. Where shall we go? Let us see how Bethel is getting on. So the three made their way to the fir plantation, but met with several interruptions on the way. Jack chased the fowl which had escaped from the poultry yard. Bumps would insist on stopping to watch the peregrinations of two frogs in some long grass, and Jill had a talk with Sam, who was cutting down a young tree. As they trotted softly on the brown pine needles underfoot, Jack startled his sisters by a shrill whisper. Look! There's a trespasser! Jill pressed eagerly forward. A tall, broad-shouldered man in clerical clothes was standing reading the board. Then, instead of turning away, he went up to the pile of stones, and bending down was in the act of lifting one of them out of its place to look at it, when Jill's indignant voice arrested him. "'You're a trespasser. We shall prosecute you!' He turned round in astonishment, and his stern, rugged features were transformed by a smile when he saw the daintily dressed children before him. "'Is this your property?' he asked. Jill was like a little bantam cock. Every bit of it is ours, of course it is. You must have seen the board. We ain't gonna allow any trespassers here. You'll have to be prosecuted, cried Bumps breathlessly. Yes, Jill said she prosecute, said Jack, looking first at the stranger and then at his sister, as if measuring in his mind's eye their respective sizes. 
"'What is to be done with me?' asked the stranger with an amused look. Jack and Jill put their heads together and consulted in hurried whispers as to the best course to take. Then Jill spoke very emphatically. "'We shall have to prosecute you, because you didn't care for our board. You saw it, and you were going to move our stones. Jack and I think if you will walk between us and promise not to escape, we will go down to the policeman at our gate. Mona is having a grand party, and he's there now, for we saw him. He'll tell us what to do.' i think said the trespasser trying to look grave that you might find me magistrates do that to some trespassers jill did not understand this but she was too proud to confess it no you must come to the policeman she said so presently skirting the tennis lawn the little procession passed jill marched on either side of him bumps walked behind i can catch hold of his coat if he runs away she said it was unfortunate for the children's plan that mona should intercept them she moved from a shady tree on the lawn, and accompanied by two gentlemen, confronted them. A slight flush rose to her cheek when she saw the prisoner, and her voice faltered slightly. "'Mr. Aunt Arnold? I have not seen you for so many years that I hardly recognized you at first. You must be staying with Lady Crane. Though she mentioned your name to me, I never connected it with you. I am very glad to see you.' Her tone was more nervous than cordial. She introduced the other gentleman with her to him. "'Sir Henry Talbot, Captain Willoughby.' and she added lightly. I might have known I would find you in the children's company. I remember how fond you were of all small people. He's our prisoner, said Jack importantly, and we're taking him to the policeman. A trip-pather, Puttenbump society. Yes, we're going to prosecute him, said Jill gravely. Mona laughed, but or Mr. Arnold looked grave enough as he said. Yes, I plead guilty, but I appeal to the present company that I should be let off a term of imprisonment by paying a fine. What does he mean? asked Jill confidentially, addressing Captain Willoughby, who is always a children's friend. He means he'll pay down some money if you make him. What has he been doing? He's been trespassing on our most private place. There's a board up, so there is no excuse. I think if he pays us some money, we'll let him off, said Jack. Mr. Arnold held out five shillings. It's a first offense, he said. I'll never do it again. What shall we do with it? asked Jill, taking the money and fingering it dubiously. Mona had walked on with Sir Henry Talbot. Why, said Jack, we'll put it in our bag. Jill's whole face brightened. Thank you, she said. We'll forgive you then. You mercenary little wretches, said Captain Willoughby. Is this a new game by which you fleece every stranger? The money isn't for us, said Jill indignantly. It's for a kind of church. Mr. Arnold looked at her and gave one of his rare smiles again. I must hear about it, he said. I should like to know where my fine will go. He certainly knew how to gain children's confidences. Before very long, on a garden seat, Jill was telling him about it all, even about their cherished Bethel. She was rapidly making the trespasser into a friend. I am most interested, he said. I am going back to a big manufacturing town soon, and I think I must try and get some of my boys and girls to put aside a tenth. Have you any little boys and girls of your own? asked Jill. I am not a father, Mr. Arnold replied, but I have all sorts and kinds of boys and girls who I consider belong to me little crossing sweepers and errand boys and liners and schoolboys and factory girls. And I have a few like you who enjoy plenty from their heavenly father. Did you know Mona long ago? asked Jill. I knew her, said Mr. Arnold slowly, as his gaze traveled to a white gown figure in the distance, when she was about as big as you, and we used to spend all our holidays together till we grew up. You ask your sister to tell you of our prank in the church tower with old Solomon Disher. Oh, do tell me. He shook his head. He saw Mona coming towards them again, and he rose to meet her. A few words that then passed between them puzzled Jill. Well, Mr. Arnold, tell me your news. 
I suppose you have never changed your opinion since we last met. No, I never have. His eyes and mouth were stern as he spoke. Mona looked at him thoughtfully, then as she met his gaze, she laughed lightly. Your spirit is still ruling your body. I can see that. And I suppose you would say that my body is still ruling my spirit. I think it is. I always told you I should take the easy path. Mr. Arnold glanced at her, then he looked at the gay company on the flowered lawns. His ear caught the lively strains of the band, and his gaze wandered to the beautiful sloping hills and woods that formed a background to the charming old English house that was her property. A noble patrimony, he said in a low, clear voice. I would it did not belong to those who lay up treasure for themselves and are not rich toward God. A crimson flush mounted to Mona's fair cheeks. Seven years ago, she said, we parted because of your unreasonable severity. Have we met to do the same this afternoon? A smile came to his lips. I hope not. I have lived and learnt to judge less harshly, but my aim is still the same. I hope my standard has not been lowered. Mona shrugged her shoulders, then deliberately walked away from him. Jill looked after her, astonished. "'You have made Mona cross, Mr. Arnold.' "'I am afraid I have,' he said humbly. "'Shall we come over to the tea-tent?' Jill was only too delighted. End of chapter 7 Recording by Gabrielle C.